morning, I invite you to take the handout that is in the bulletin, the insert there, or your copy of God's Word, and turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, as we've just heard with our children's message, uh, we will be in verses uh, 1 through 10 there of Jonah chapter 3, which is indeed all of Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is God's word. Amen. Well, how many of us, how many of us have ever failed and wanted a second chance? It's kind of a rhetorical question. I think we could all raise our hands to that. There's at times when we wish life had a redo button. That's exactly what's happening here. But what we need to see today is that not only does God give Jonah a second chance, and not only does God give us a second chance, but God changes us. God restores us so that we can his, bring his message of rescue to others. The problem for us is that when we fail... We're tempted to believe when we fail, when we fall, we're tempted to believe that, that God's going to set us on the shelf, don't we? We're tempted at times to believe that, that God is going to sideline us, that we'll no longer be useful in his kingdom. So this is a good word for me today, and this is a good word for all of us. Because at times we do doubt our usefulness to God and his kingdom when we fail. So we need to see here today that God not only restores us, but in restoring us, he sends us out with his message of rescue to our world. So we see this firstly as Jonah is restored here. We see firstly that Jonah is restored and that God restores us. Look with me in verses 1 through 3. Beginning in verse 1 there, we see that God pursues Jonah. As God restores Jonah, he pursues him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
We long to hear from God a second time. But we have a God who comes to us a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time, and 70 times 7, doesn't he? With his word, with his gracious pursuit of Jonah. The irony of the situation, as some have pointed out, is that, that God takes Jonah all the way to the point of death, as it were, in the belly of this fish, and then revives him so that he can bring the message of life to others. God restores Jonah, not only in his person, but also, we will see, to his position. Our God is not only a God of second chances, brothers and sisters, but our God is a God of revival and complete and total restoration. He set his sights on Jonah, not so much because God needed Jonah, but because Jonah needed God. We've already seen this pursuit of Jonah in this series as God has pursued him with a storm. Pursued him as the sailors wake him up. Pursued him as they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah. Pursued him even in the vast ocean by commissioning a great fish. I wonder what the fish was. I've always wondered that. Um, I like to suppose it's some sort of shark of some sort. Sends this great fish to chase Jonah down. He is in relentless pursuit of Jonah. And Jonah's God is our God. He pursues us as well. Dan Allender puts it this way. When we hear the call, that is the call of God, and go, we run in the opposite direction. God is a way of throwing us off the boat, swallowing us with a large fish, and spitting us onto shore where we are to serve. God allows us to run, but to know that he will arrive in our place of flight before we get there, before we arrive. And so he directs our steps again. God has has outmaneuvered Jonah, and he's directing his steps again. As we've heard, God is, is... is in in ways um, like a bloodhound on our trail, relentlessly in pursuit. This is a good word for us, to know that he is in pursuit of us even when we run from him. So I want us to think, if you're in the middle of some sort of difficulty and some sort of situation or pain or fear or doubt, some sort of circumstance, Might God be using that in your life to get your attention? In some way, using that to draw you back to himself, as he did Jonah. Well, we see that God has pursued Jonah, but also, also, he reinstates Jonah. Look there in verse 2. He says to Jonah, Call out against Nineveh the message that I tell you. So here's Jonah getting a second chance, not only to be restored to God, but also to have his job back, essentially. And, and in Scripture, those, that, those, of us, well, those of us that fall, and in Scripture we see that not, all, not always do people get their, their job back. Um, you can think of Ananias and Sapphira, um, who were taken, taken out by God. Um, Saul, was, the kingdom was taken from him when, when he fell, but, but God graciously and mysteriously, as 
Julian Trevision says, graciously, mysteriously gives Jonah not only his personal relationship with God, restores that, but he gives him his job back. And that's, that's amazing. There's something here for us. Because sometimes we wonder if we've fallen too far for God to use us again. We need to remember that, that God restores, restores. Think about Jacob. Remember Jacob and Esau, how Jacob stole Esau's birthright. But then God, through wrestling with Jacob, brings him back to restoration with his brother Esau. Think of Moses. Moses was a murderer. Do you realize that? Moses was a murderer? And, and God grabbed a hold of him in the wilderness and commissioned him to lead his people out of Egypt. And Peter, Peter who denied Jesus three times, was restored graciously by Jesus three times. Brothers and sisters, I'll say this multiple times this morning, you cannot, you cannot fall so far that God will not reach down and pick you up and make you useful again. Boy, we need to hear that. We need to see this happening in Jonah and know that that's for us as well. Jonah's rescue is our rescue. And God's grace is far bigger than all of our sin. The the Apostle Paul affirms this in Romans 5.20 when he says that where sin abounds, where sin abounds, God's grace superabounds. We've just sung about this. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a quick shower to make me feel good again. No, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Do you know there is no sin that you can't commit that will be washed away in the ocean of God's grace And when he does that for us, he intends to make us useful again to him. But here we see that that God not only pursues Jonah in his restoration, not only does he he give Jonah back his job, but but also Jonah is restored as, as Jonah follows God in new obedience. Jonah is rescued by the power of God's grace and now does what God says. He's been brought to a place of of humility in the belly of the fish. You can go back and read about that again in Jonah chapter 2. But now he does what God says. But obedience is hard, isn't it? And when we think about Jonah's obedience, it's really hard. He's to go to Nineveh. Going to Nineveh is like the equivalent of going, of going to Raqqa, which as you know, probably is the capital of Isis's caliphate. If I'd said to, to um, Mike or to John or, you know, any of us, go to, to Raqqa and tell ISIS that in 40 days they're going to be destroyed if they don't repent. Does that sound like, like something hard? Yes. That's scary. That's terrifying. Nineveh was just like that. Nineveh was a place where they had murdered and killed for generations the captors, or rather the, the captives that they had brought in, the nations around them that they had subdued, they, they enslaved um, and they did all kinds of horrible things to them. And here goes Jonah to this city. It would have been hard. But when Jonah is overcome by the overwhelming grace of God to him in the belly of a fish, 
You see, even his heart there in chapter 2, turning towards the lost, turning towards Nineveh. And so now Jonah goes and obeys, not out of fear, but out of compassion. Yes, he's still broken. Yes, he's still mixed in his motives. But God's love has so gripped him that all he can do is obey. You remember this is true of Isaiah. Isaiah, when his sin is taken away in Isaiah 6, God says, who's going to go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. He's overcome by the grace and power of God and his love and forgiveness. And so he goes. Jonah's God is our God. And he restores us. Nothing can stop him from restoring you. He never gives up on us. His design for us, as Sinclair Ferguson says, is that we will obey him. He is committed to us. And he is determined that we will serve him. We should be encouraged by that. He's determined that we'll be useful to him. But not only does God restore Jonah, not only does God restore us, but he restores us for a purpose. Yes, it's to enjoy him forever, but also to glorify him by taking that message of rescue to the world. So now we see that that Jonah has been restored. He's been brought from death to life. And now he's to take that message of life to Nineveh. He uses Jonah to rescue Nineveh. And he uses us to rescue others. We see there in verses 4 through 10. So what is the message that Jonah brings? Look there in verse 4. This is remarkable. This is striking. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Does that sound like a very palatable message? I mean, think if you were um, some sort of goat herder in the, the wilderness, maybe there in uh, the desert, somewhere between you know, the, the Mediterranean and um, Nineveh. And Jonah comes along. You see this guy picking seaweed out of his hair. He's still kind of covered in fish stuff, whatever that is. And, and, and you, you, you say, oh, hello, Jonah. Well, well, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to Nineveh. And you ask him, well, why are you going there? Well, I'm on a mission from God. I have a message to give them that 40 days, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, hold on, Jonah. Wait a minute. That's not very winsome. That's not very loving. It doesn't sound very gracious. It doesn't sound very kind. It sounds offensive. Jonah, that isn't loving at all. Or is it? We can think of this message uh, as being a summary of what Jonah said. I want to point that out. But I also want to emphasize that this is a message of grace and mercy. How is that so? Because it evidences the mercy and grace of God. Let's think about it. God is so gracious to inform them that that they are going to be destroyed, and he gives them 40 days to think about it. We see that God's grace is in this message. We could put it another way by saying it would be unloving for us to warn our neighbor if they were in danger. Think about it. You know, if you you walked out onto East Montague this afternoon and you saw somebody step out in front of a car, I hope that we would say, you know, watch out or yell that. Look out. This is essentially what's happening here. 
Jonah is going to Nineveh with this message of, look out. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Pay attention. Take notice. So God sends Jonah with this message. This message of judgment. But also a message of grace because they would have seen Jonah. They would have known how God had come after him. They would have known how God, God had restored Jonah, how he had been brought from death to life. Don't you think Jonah talked a little bit about his experience and how God had rescued him? Jesus himself says in Luke that Jonah was actually a sign of salvation to these people. So yes, this is a message of judgment, but it's also a message of grace. The king knows this. Look in verse 9. Look what it says in verse 9. He says, who knows, God may turn and relent from his fierce anger. So implicitly in this message, there is some sort of hope that God is going, if they repent, to spare them. It's a message of judgment, but also one of glorious grace and hope. You know, we're given a message. We have a message to take the world We've been restored by God's grace, and now we are to bear that same message of rescuing grace to our community and to the ends of the earth. Paul says it this way, talking about his restoration and therefore his subsequent commission. Paul says of himself, and really of us, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, that is the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. God rescued Paul so that he could rescue others. Simply put, what is our message? Our message of the gospel is this, that Christ has come that whosoever believes in him should not perish, not perish in the judgment, but have eternal life. That we are sinners, yes, but Christ is is a great Savior. And I I ask you today, do you know that message? And if you know that message, it's our duty and our delight to take it to the world. If you've been restored and rescued from sin, go and take that message of rescue to others. If Christ, your ransoming Savior, is sweet to you, go tell of his sweetness. If he is lovely to you, go tell of his loveliness. Yes, this can be scary. This can be really scary. Jonah wasn't perfect. Again, Jonah is this little Jewish guy from the middle of nowhere. He's weak. His motives are probably still mixed, as we'll see later in chapter 4, that he's, he's not perfect by any means. But Jonah, but because of God, Jonah was faithful. You know, he uses the weak. He uses the broken. He uses the restored sinner. And again, you have not fallen too far that God cannot reach down, pick you up, restore you, and work mightily through you to bring that message to others. 
Well, what, what happens next here? In the, as we move through the story, the people respond. Here in verse 5 and through 9, what marks that response? What marks a proper response to the message? Well, it's repentance. That's really what we see here. Repentance. We see a few aspects of, of that repentance, of the people experiencing the rescue of God. What does an experience of the rescue of God look like? It looks like sorrowing over sin. Fasting there in verse 5 and 7. Sackcloth, lament, grief, and humiliation there in verse 5. Turning from sin, we see there in verse 8, as, as the king tells the people to turn from their evil way, and also calling out mightily to God, which is turning to God. Repentance is this, sorrowing over, sorrowing over our sin, turning from our sin, and turning to God. Sorrowing over our sin, turning from our sin, and turning to God. And so, so we, we don't need to just identify with Jonah in this story. We also need to see ourselves in the people because we as a church, we as a nation, also need to experience that Holy Spirit power and movement bringing us to repentance and reviving us. Do you know this? When the Word comes in power in our hearts, as John Owen says, when the Word comes in power in our hearts, it will come in power to our hearers. That's an encouragement for our evangelism. So are you mournful over your sin today? Are you glorying in your Savior? Have you responded to this message of rescue? And where has God placed you? That's another question. Where has God placed you? Just as he sends Jonah to Nineveh to bring this message of restoration and repentance, he has sent us to North Charleston, to Park Circle, maybe Oak Terrace, maybe the College of Charleston, maybe Benefit Focus, maybe MUSC, possibly Boeing, Water Mission. Maybe you hang out at Majorua or Starbucks, Waterfront Park, or your elementary school. Nineveh and the Ninevites are right here. We bring that message of rescue. We bring that message of repentance where we go, wherever we go. That yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think today, where has he placed you? Yes, this is scary, but there's great encouragement to us, and that encouragement comes. That encouragement comes in verse 5 and 10. Look back at verse 5 with me. We read that the people believed Jonah. No, we don't read that. We don't read that at all. We read that the people believed God. We don't read that the people believed Jonah's persuasive argument. We don't read that the people were won over by Jonah's winsome personality. We simply read that the people believed God. How is that encouraging to us? It's encouraging because it helps us not to be fearful. It helps us not to set our expectations low but to set our expectations high, knowing that God will save his people. 
God didn't leave this task up to Jonah alone. In fact, the whole book is not really about the reality of Jonah's faithfulness. It's about the reality of God's faithfulness to rescue and to fulfill his purpose in saving his people. It didn't rest in the public speaking ability of Jonah. It doesn't rest in the public speaking ability of God's prophets. It doesn't rest in your own giftedness with words. It's the Holy Spirit who moves powerfully to make God's word powerful through God's prophet, through God's preachers. Incidentally, I hope that you're praying for your pastors throughout the week that the Holy Spirit would speak powerfully through them on Sunday. So we see that Jonah, Jonah's the instrument. All Jonah had to do was show up. By all reason, he should have been killed, but he isn't. God's Holy Spirit moves powerfully in Jonah and through Jonah. And Nineveh is saved. And God relents of his anger and rescues Nineveh. There's something for us here. The people believe God. This verse gives us confidence. This passage gives us confidence that when we go out, when we are faithful, God is faithful. Our confidence in evangelism is the evangel, is the good news. Christ himself. Not that we would speak powerfully, but that God is powerful. So this passage really is about Jonah's God. Jonah has the privilege of being an instrument, as Paul Tripp says, an instrument in the Redeemer's hands to rescue. This is our hope. This is our hope for our families for our little ones, our little children that we want to know the Lord, that, 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 that we won't be able to persuade them. Ultimately, it's God that persuades them. It's our hope for our friends. It's our hope for our neighbors. It's our hope for Park Circle. It's our hope for the world that the people will believe God. It gives us great confidence and great hope. If God could save Nineveh, If God could save people who are today the equivalent of ISIS, we can have hope for the hardest person in our lives. Think of that person right now. Maybe that's you. You can have hope for your own rescue from sin, and you can know hope for your relatives, for your friends, those who are on your heart, because it's God who works mightily to rescue his people. If God has restored you, if God has restored you, glory in that restoration and go and take that message of rescue wherever he's placed you. Amen. As we turn to a time of communion, especially through the Lord's Supper this morning, we can think of this table as a reminder, as a representation of God's rescue to us. Jesus himself came, gave his life on the cross to rescue us from our sins. It's what we're celebrating this time of the year. As we march towards Jerusalem, as we march towards the cross, we see... And we're reminded again that Christ died, that he shed his blood, that he gave his body up 
for our sake, for our sins, so that we could be rescued and so that we could be restored. I invite our elders to come, our men to come. We'll be distributing the elements this morning. As they come, this invitation to celebrate God's rescue and God's restoration goes to all of you who know Him as Savior, who have been marked out by baptism. For those of you who don't yet know Him, don't yet sense His rescue, I ask you to refrain and ask the Lord to come into your life, to be real to you, to open the eyes of your heart, and to restore you. Let's pray and thank the Lord for this great supper that we are to taste. Lord, we... We bow before you in reverence and in awe and count it a joy that you would, you would come down and you would fill us up, not only with your word, but with Christ's body broken and his blood shed. Even as we mysteriously commune with you in this time, we ask that Christ Jesus would be sweet to us, that we would taste and feel the rescue that he has given us. Would you nourish our souls? Even now we pray. Amen.